0: Aloha, and welcome to Reflections on Interpretation, talking story with guides and interpreters. I am Tim Merriman, your host, coming to you from the Big Island of Hawaii. And I have to tell you, I'm delighted today to have an old friend and a colleague and uh, who has an interesting role in the history of the Certified Interpretive Guide Program. She was literally the first person in that program to give a presentation and earn the Certified Interpretive Guide Certificate way back in the year 2000. Maria Elena Muriel from Baja del Sur in Mexico. You're still there, yes?
1: Yes, I'm still here.
0: (laughs) It's wonderful to see you because it's been quite a few years since we've seen each other. And yet you continue to work in this field as a trainer, a consultant. Do you ever guide?
1: Sometimes I guide also. I give consultancy.
0: What's the name of your company you're working out of?
1: Well, I work in two companies, which is called Birding Los Cabos. I focus into um, birding tours, stargazing, and other eco tours. And I also work for the school where we train the tour guides to get certified by the Minister of Tourism. Every guy in Mexico requires a license, so we all must be licensed in Mexico, so I work for that institution, that uh, college, where we train those guys to get certified by the by the Minister of Tourism and be able to be guides in Mexico.
0: Well, as she said, burning Los Cabos, she's in on the very southern tip of Baja del Sur. Uh, I confess I've not been that far south, but I have to mention that when we first met Maria Elena we were doing the very first certified interpretive guide course. Lisa Brochu, my wife and training partner, 23 years ago. Oddly, our first request to do that training was from uh, a tourism—I don't know—I don't know whether it was a tourism association or group, but they contacted us and said, "Please come to La Paz and do this first course." It was astonishing because it was a great group of people, and we got to meet you.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure. And I remember at that time, it was the very first time that eco-cruises were going to start to come into the Sea of Cortez to lead eco-cruises. And they wanted the guys, the local guys in ashore uh, programs to work with the same standards as the crew members on board the cruise. Those cruises uh, used to go to Alaska and uh, other uh, areas, interesting areas. But it was the very first time that they were going to start to come to the Sea of Cortez, which is considered the aquarium of the world. So that's when they select us, the guys who were going to work for them, uh, providing the ashore excursions. And that's when they require from you uh, that you told me the story. That's how I know (laughs) you and Lisa told us. That is the reason why they were giving that class over there to all of us who were going to work and provide services, guiding services for those cruise ship passengers
0: you have a better memory than I have because <laughs> I I have since forgotten the details, but I remember someone called us and said, we'd really like you to train this group in La Paz. And uh, it was an interesting group because uh, there were a couple of Italian gentlemen who were working in tourism. And there were some, I think people from kind of villages, indigenous guides, and uh, a number of you who had been to college and had a more formal background in tourism it it was really an interesting start for a program that's now had uh, literally tens of thousands of people go through it when you were young did you have an idea what you would be doing where did you grow up
1: Uh, i grew up in mazatlan i i got birth in mazatlan which is across the sea of cortez and i grew up over there in the coast in a coast also in the port of mazatlan sinaloa so I grew up over there with my siblings, you know, going to the beach, enjoying life.
0: But did you think about what you would be as you as a career?
1: Uh, well, I wanted to be an archaeologist, but uh the first of all, the archaeology school was far away, it's only in Mexico City, which is miles and miles from Atlanta, where I am from. And second, I got married very young. So I became a single parent and I didn't have the time I didn't have the money I didn't have the opportunity to go so and then I thought well I need to be a a somebody to to make these kids you know to be somebody in a near future so then I started to look for a career and I chose one in in tourism and hospitality field and at the same time I was studying languages and then um, I I got a job as a tour guide and since then, I started to work as a tour guide and I really love to be guiding. And, but I keep continuing studying other activities, you know, like managing. I graduate from the uh, tour and hospitality school, but I focus more into the guiding field, which is uh, totally different as the careers that they teach to administrate the infrastructure, like hotels and and tour companies and airlines and bars and restaurants. I learned all that part, but I prefer much better to be on field. Uh, And to me, it's like administrating the emotion, the experiences of the visitors and put them in touch with the cultural and natural heritage of the area they visit. But at the same time, we are to give them opportunities to create their own memories uh, with whomever they travel. So, I like that that feel much better than administrating the buildings or the tour companies or the airlines.
0: When we moved to Hawaii about nine years ago, I landed a part-time job teaching hospitality and tourism at Hawaii Community College. And I was somewhat disappointed. When I realized that I had to teach out of a textbook that never mentions interpretation, that barely mentions guiding, that it was a focus on the big resorts, their restaurants, their spas, their uh, airline flights, all of the things in tourism, other than the experience on the ground, which to me is vital to sustainable tourism. If you want people to come back, they have to have an experience that's more than food and a place to sleep when I think about your first talk that you gave back then, Lisa and I still use it as an example of someone who understood theme so well that we remember your theme from that particular talk that uh, I'll paraphrase. it something like, every time you see a plastic bag, I want you to think about sea turtles. It was wonderful. We videotaped it. Uh, A lot of people have seen that video. Uh, You became Famous amongst our network because people who saw it were really aware that you you nailed the idea perfectly of getting across a theme so solidly that people would think about it later. It was a wonderful start for that program for Lisa and I because we'd spent about a year putting together the curriculum and you were the first through it. It was a sea turtle talk that you based your first presentation on with us.
1: Yes, well, recently I had moved from from uh, from Sinaloa, from Mazatlán, Sinaloa. I was working over there with cruise ships, with cruise lines, providing services and with other local tour companies in Mazatlán, okay. uh, in surroundings. And then uh, I was requested by the same company I was working for to come to Los Cabos, Baja California Sur, which is just across the Sea of Cortez, to come and work for them and provide them um, because uh, cruises didn't come. They it, they would requested the company to come and give them services in Los Cabos because it was the first time they were going to start to arrive to Los Cabos with the new cruises, with new routes uh, coming to Baja California Sur. And in Los Cabos was very small community. At that time, we were like 2,500 in population. Uh, they didn't have experience in working with tourism. Many of the local citizens didn't speak the language, uh, foreign languages, and uh, they didn't understand what cruise, uh, uh, you know, particularities, uh, tourism for cruisers. So they request me to come, and that's how I ended up being in Baja California Surin Los Cabos. When I arrived, I saw the great potential, and I started to work for them. I designed most of the tours that the cruise lines are is even leading now or offering now for cruise ships, for big cruise ships and uh, like big names, you know, like Cruises, Prin- Princess Cruises, Royal Caribbean, and many of those big cruises. So I designed the tours for the company I was working for. So, and also I trained the guides to be able to work. But living in, in here in Baja California Sur, I saw the growth and Los Cabos started to grow and grow and grow. And we had only one sea turtle uh, camp at that time. And uh, I met the, the biologist over there and I saw the potential to start to teamwork with them. So when you invited me to, to or when, when the company, the new cruise company invited me to go and you to ask us to make a program, interpretive program, I based uh, my program in what I was thinking already to launch. the the sea turtle programs because this biologist was all by herself full of uh, students from the university that were patrolling at night, uh, rescuing the sea turtles and there was no, there was no much help and the government didn't give them enough budget and the populations were growing and growing. So I knew the vulnerable situation that the sea turtles were, if they needed to wait 30 years to come and lay the eggs in the same area where they hatch themselves. So I thought, oh my Lord, what if later it's gonna be a resort or it's gonna be a golf court or a gated community or a beach club in this uh, area they are not going to have a place to stay. So I came up with creating my program as a CIG to get certified as a CIG based on that idea that I had with the intention also that later I will go and, and give it, presented to the biologist who was working in the only sea turtle camp that was available in Los Cabos. To me, I understood that to preserve the environment, to preserve the species requires the whole town, the whole community. And to me, visitors, when they are here, they are part of the community. They become part of the community. So that's why I decided to make that program, to give an environmental education program, invite the visitors to come and visit the, the camp, and also, of course, charge a fee because that economical support donations that they receive in the in the citadel camp will be used to bring the school kids, rent a bus to take them out of the school or produce the materials, you know, brochures and, and uh, material to educate the, the the local school kids, also invite them to come. And also because we all know now that the plastic bags are terrible. So that's why I thought I my goal or the message I want to is that every time visitors see plastic bags, they will think about sea turtles. That was my title. That was my theme. Every time you see a plastic bag, you will think about sea turtles.
0: Lisa and I certainly didn't live near sea turtles back then. We were in Colorado and now we do. And uh, I pick up 18,000 uh, items a year that people throw out the window along our little road that leads down to the beach. And I'm aware that if if it's not picked up it it eventually ends up in the ocean and it could kill sea turtles or other animals. Uh, You also worked with whale watching a bit.
1: I do. I still once in a while lead whale watching tours. And also my goal is that the message is that see the, the, um, the whales, you know, are uh, the, the planet dwellers. And we need to learn a message uh, from them because and they don't have passport, they don't have visa, and they travel back and forth peacefully, sharing the same oceans. So whatever happens in here, they take it back to Alaska or San Lawrence Channel where they come. And whatever happened in Alaska, San Lawrence channels, it comes back to here. So that's why I lead a whale watching tours also. And since I learn interpretation, I incorporate interpretive techniques in every single program. So I still use my outline, I still apply it, I still use it to create my messages, my central theme, and also my my um, my um links, you know, uh, to tie it up one after the other.
0: Was that course your first introduction to the term interpretation?
1: Yes, it was. It was the first time I learned interpretation. I was already a guy since several years. I became a a uh, guide in 1983, 1983, and in 1999 is when I re- remember that we made, we took the CIG class. I got certified in 2000 because it was the end of 1999, so the certification takes a few months uh, to process, but uh, yeah, the class was in 1999.
0: Again, re- I've remembered that incorrectly. I put it in 2000, so thank you. <laughs>
1: Well, as I say, you have one side of the story and and I have the other one. You and Lisa have one side of the story and I have the other one here.
0: Well, it's funny when I think about all of that, we we spent 13 or 14 years there training uh, trainers or planners all over the United States and in some cases in other countries like your course. And we traveled. About 100, 130 or 40 days a year. It was a hectic schedule. And I, you didn't stop there. I mean, you've plunged much more deeply into interpretive training and you've taken, have you taken the interpretive planning course several times, several places?
1: Uh, yes, well, that, that time, that course is the first time I learned about the, the interpretation. I learned about the term, I learned the application, all the techniques to apply interpretation. So it broadened my, my spectrum. It broadened my, It opened my, my vision of entirely of so many things that we can do and so many applications interpretation has, interpretive techniques in so many fields that oh i got wow it was a decisive you know decisive year decisive moment that class in my in my professional career and in my life also because i still use interpretation to talk to my children and make them changes i want them to make see without being so stressful you know sure. i you i use it every day even now every day i use interpretation so anyway I took other courses, so that's why I decided and uh, to, uh, to uh, in also attend other training programs. I mm-hmm. took the CIH and got certified as a host also. I took the CIP, Certified Interpretive Planner also. I traveled to Panama to attend. You and Lisa were my teachers also. Uh, I have taken other uh, interpretive courses online and from other schools and also planning. Uh, management, also other things uh, but focusing interpretation, but I mean those classes that I took in that in that time, uh, when I became certified as a CIG, Cih, and CIP, it has no other course has surpassed all the knowledge I acquired from those courses. So I'm very very grateful from you to you and Lisa for all the generosity teaching all your knowledge and skills, techniques, you didn't hide anything from us. So I'm very, very grateful.
0: Well, I'm grateful to you because you've been a shining example of the power of this field. And I know I've I've seen your name show up on conferences that I was not able to attend as a presenter and that you've been out there teaching and training all these years yourself.
1: When I trained, I started this, when I became a CIGT, Certified Interpretive Guide Trainer, and I started to teach in, in uh, English because the materials were not available in Spanish, and that's another thing I really thank you because under your administration, you and Lisa uh, made possible to translate the the materials and, and because I became a, a, the the principal, the director of the Spanish section also at in the uh, association uh, and um, I really make interpretive my life, you know interpretation my life. So I decided to carry the, on the flag of interpretation and the association I belong to uh to make it accessible to others And I I remember I told you and Lisa, you know what if we want to get more members in the association and more people get involved learning interpretation. it does not necessarily speak English. There are many in Mexico who work only with Spanish speaking audiences. And they don't have a visa to travel other places to learn, you know, interpretation, interpretive training courses in other countries. So why don't we make it accessible to to a Spanish-speaking audiences? And and I'm very grateful because you you took that uh, comment uh, in, in your hands and with the help of others, were uh, made possible to translate all the materials into Spanish. And since then, I started to teach a few training courses in Spanish also. And I tried to introduce interpretation in many states in Mexico, in many states in Mexico, and also some other countries like uh, in Panama, in the, in the field of guiding, because I knew and I understood that interpretation and interpretive techniques were applied deeply since long ago but as a means of conservation in the national park service or in the uh, sciences field but not that much into tourism and recreation as guiding to the guides so i think also that i contributed a little bit for that happen and see how interpretation could be applied also for tour guides in the field of tourism
0: you also participated in something that I thought was an incredible experience, and that was going to Korea.
1: Yes, yes. I had the opportunity. I had I've been very blessed, you know. So I had the opportunity to go to Korea also. And I and I I was invited to give a, a, a talk. I gave it in English. And also after that, I was invited also to to give another talk um, for universities for the university students and tourism, and I made another talk. So there were two times that I had the opportunity to participate in Korea. And yes, it was a great experience, but yeah, it was in English, not in Korean.
0: Well, yeah, as just a reminiscence, I believe it was 2005, October, Dr. Cho, who had gotten his PhD at Ohio State University and had been a member of national association for interpretation had called me one day and he said uh, can you get people from eight or 10 countries to come to korea we'll pay all their expenses and we'll show you korea but we want you to share your expertise with people over here and i said oh yeah well, we can do that and he he says in 6 weeks i said 6 weeks <laughs> maybe we need six months to give people time to put it on their schedule. And he says, well, my funding is available now. And so we we hurried and contacted you and a bunch of other people uh, from many countries, Canada, Panama. We had folks from Arkansas like Jay Miller and Kelly Farrell and- uh, uh, Rick
1: Morales, my former student.
0: Yeah, from Panama. And it was a great group. And we really had unique experiences with with the Koreans at universities and communities. And I like what you said earlier, when you said visitors become a part of a community when they visit it. Community-based tourism, to me, is the heart of good, sustainable tourism. I, I don't want to dismiss resort tourism or cruise boat tourism, but eventually those people that even that go to resorts or that go on cruises get off into communities. And it, it it either has to be an asset and a value to the community or it ends up being a liability because visitors do damage. They crowd the streets. They temporarily overload the infrastructure. and And hopefully it's managed in a way where it's valuable of the community but i to me good interpretation helps it have that value it gets people to understand the unique stories the unique culture why they might want to be a thoughtful contributor to the experience not a uh, someone who detracts from it.
1: Sam, out of an example of what you are saying is the C-Tutle program that I made. Uh, I finally launched it through time over here, and now it's still up and running. We applied it every day. And teaching with other biologists and other people who had got involved into the c made first idea Let me tell you what we are doing. Los Cabos is at the tip of the peninsula, surrounded by the Pacific Ocean and Sea of Cortez. So there are hundreds and hundreds of beach areas. Hundreds and hundreds of hotels have come and developed over there. So team working, somebody came up with the idea to go with the hotel managers and tell them, ask them permission to train their security guards who patrol at night at the beach areas to recognize the tracks of the sea turtles when they come at night to Lady X. And we train them to make a little farm within the hotel boundaries to those uh, security guards when they are patrolling at night and when everybody's sleeping, they can rescue those nests and transfer them to them on farm they did. Or if so, my manager says, oh, no, no, they, my, my security guards already have too much to do. So then, what anyway? We train them, and if they detect that a sea turtle came at night and lady X, they can give us a call to one of the camps. Now we have like fifty different sea turtle camps <laughs> all around the peninsula, so they can call one of the local camps. It's a net now of farms, sea turtle farms and camps, so they can call us, and we send a team to rescue that nest and transfer it to a safe area. So the whole hotel industry now is involved. Uh, many workers have learned. And of course, when they, if they accept to make a little farm and when the babies hatch, they invite their hotel guests. They give them a little program and they help them to release the baby and turtles into sea.
0: That's amazing. Uh, I had the great fun of uh, traveling with Sam Hamm once to Nicaragua and El Salvador. And I I got invited. They said the Ridley sea turtles were landing on the beach and Arribada. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. I got to sleep on the beach during that. And I, I awoke in the morning to sand being thrown on top of me by a sea turtle digging a nest. So uh, I'm astonished at what you've done because when we talk about conservation and our, our values and our beliefs, in interpretation. It's a real thing to us personally, but uh, there's lots of situations where it's challenging to have real impact. You clearly have had real impact on protection of sea turtles and and growing of our knowledge of sea turtles and what it's going to take to keep them from just being the stew on somebody's table, which was one of the uses they were put to. You, you mentioned that uh, Cabo's was Los Cabos was uh, 2,500 population back then. What is it now?
1: 700,000.
0: Oh, my goodness. I thought you were going to say 50,000 or something.
1: 700,000. We were 50,000 20 years ago. We were 50,000 in population. Right now, 700,000. Can you believe that?
0: Mm-hmm. So yes.
1: that's why after Sea I launched the bird watching tour because we had a wetland uh, that is called Estuary San Jose, which is not an estuary, it's a freshwater spring oasis. And um, somebody came like 15 years ago and proposed a project to make the estuary a marina. They wanted to destroy the sandbar that separates fresh water from the salty water to turn it into a marina. So that's when I said, no, 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 no. Because the estuary is not important only for the birds. It's a historical site. Many historical events occur in the estuary. So I said, no, no, no. We need to do something sustainable. So I started to do birding. I offered myself as birding guide, leading birding walks in the estuary. uh, As a try to make our local authorities to preserve the estuary as a bird sanctuary and stop to being disappeared to see the value you know inviting visitors to come it's been very challenging also because when people think about los cabos they think about coming to play golf or to do sport fishing that no many people no many birds thought that los cabos or this area could be an interesting place for birding so then i didn't desist i keep and inviting others you know and with associations and finally they decree a bird sanctuary Uh, I have missed emotions because halfway of the estuary was turned a marina, but halfway of the estuary was preserved. So after that, and after the, also the sea turtle program, seeing the growth of the city, I thought, oh my Lord, it's going to be challenge for the sea turtles when they guide themselves with the moonlight and the shadow of the stars. I mean, the shade of the stars and all these hotels putting so many lights I created the stargazing tour to make an impact to reduce the light consumption in those uh, hotels. And if you're gonna light your hotel, light it soft or light it facing your building, not to the beach, because the sea turtles guide themselves. So and I and I start to introduce a stargazing, reduce the light so you can enjoy the night sky. You can enjoy. Uh, you know, uh, and offer your guests um, better experiences because most of the other places in the world is either cloudy, polluted, here it's still nice. So then I launched the stargazing tour also. So I had my interpretation in many, many uh, citizen science programs or conservation programs.
0: That's terrific. I, I remember that in Fort Collins, Colorado, where I used to live and work with, Lisa and I lived and worked with NAI, that uh, National Park Service had a dark skies program uh, doing research because our parks and our sanctuaries have become some of the last places on the planet where you can actually see the constellations in their full splendor. And I live in a remote part of the Big Island of Hawaii where night sky is just a magnificent display when the clouds aren't in the way. Uh, it's terrific that you've done that programming as well. You've done interpretive planning. What kind of work have you found in that area?
1: Well, for many, many uh, companies um, th- that hire me to make their planning, their uh, one, a part, a thematic part. I designed the whole, the whole um, program, the whole master plan, and uh, all the interpretive programs, and then the, the curricula to train the guides, and select the messages and form the people who were going to be leading those tours and walks. And that place is still working. Its name is Karisuba. And now they have a donkey conservation program, mule, donkeys and mules, because they are getting extinct. So it's part of the attraction. <laughs> so yes, I work with some of the local business people who hire me to make their interpretive plans and their master plans to open a business.
0: Planning is one of those important areas that often gets overlooked, and certainly a lot of tourism industry destinations kind of allow the planning to be done by the big hotels. They they think about the experience the hotel provides, good food, place to sleep, spas, all of that, but not so much about the diversity of experiences that's required and then you get into the issue that you mentioned with the marina uh, being built in an estuary that very often we lose some of our best nature experiences or even some of our cultural experiences to exploitation by developers where they turn it into housing developments or a marina or a hotel paradise is how they often describe destinations like los cabos or hawaii And yet uh, paradise is a mixed blessing because for local people, uh, people who grew up in Los Cabos, the world has changed dramatically.
1: I was going to say that another master plan I worked was with the state of Sonora across the Sea of Cortez and above from the state of Sinaloa. Uh, One of the municipalities, which is called San Carlos, hired me to make a master plan to transform uh, that a small community because the cruise ships were going to start to arrive over there in Guaymas is the name of the port. Uh, and so I went over there, I made a master, a master plan, interpretive plan for every single program that was gonna be offered for passengers. And again, the, the guides. And they inaugurated Port uh, Guaymas, uh, Puerto Guaymas. And uh, once in a while, they still receive cruise ships over there, and they are still working the same programs. But a lot of people learn about interpretation over there. So it's been expanding now, not only for cruises and cruise ship passengers, many of the guys that I trained at that time, it was in 2007. So many guys of the, the ones I trained over there. At that time, they become their own, they they opened their own business, their own tour companies, and now they are still working in many of those uh, programs that we launched uh, during the master plan I created for them, interpretive plan.
0: Are there interpretive networks developing in Mexico, Latin America, that are useful professionally?
1: Also, I introduce interpretation to the National Park Service in Mexico, which is called CONAM because it didn't exist interpretation or, or it didn't exist a National Park Service per se in Mexico uh, for many years until uh, recently in 2008, they opened the development of a tourism in protected areas in Mexico as part of what is the National Park Service. I must I must address that a National Park Service is different than in United States or other countries. I understood and I learned while I was part of uh, NAI that in the National Park Service administrate uh, not only the national parks and its open spaces, but also historical sites and buildings and archaeological sites. And in Mexico, is different. We have two different organizations. One is uh, CONAM, which administrate open spaces and and water and and, and forest, I mean, and open spaces. And other institution, the Institute of Anthropology is the one that administrate the cultural heritage, museums, archeological sites, historical buildings, and and those. So I've been working with both organizations, introducing interpretation. And uh, after that, in 2008, Uh, what is considered the national park service, the open spaces, they started to open to development of tourism in protected areas or national parks. And they require interpretation as the guides or or park rangers that are working in that field. In anthropology and archaeology, I haven't been able to penetrate a because I am not from that field, I am from the tourism. So it's been super difficult for me to make an impact in those fields because I am not from the, the sciences field, natural sciences. I am not from the historical you know, background, but from tourism. So it's been very, very challenging, difficult for me to introduce. But easy by easy, steps, steps are being done and, and accepted. So in the archeological department, I had a former student whose name is Alejandra Mosco. She was a, a student of CIG class many years ago in a, in a course, a CIG class I taught in Yucatan, Mexico. Over there, it was a thematic park, and she just had graduated from ar- ar- archeology, span as archeology. span She got so much impact in the CIG class maybe as I did had impacted by you when you taught me, the same way she got impacted for what she learned on interpretation. So I carry on your, your classes, you know, and she got so impacted that she renounced being a guide. She went back to the archeological department in Mexico City, the archeological school, and she created a curriculum, a curriculum to create, to develop interpretive curatory. So the curators of, of um, you know, museums start to apply interpretation and since teaching the students, since they are learning in a school, since the young students who are going to get certified or graduate as archaeologists, anthropologists, museum uh, developers, she's been trying introducing interpretation in that field. Recently, she wrote a book and uh, it's over there in, in a PDF for the whole you know, uh, archaeologists and anthropologists in Mexico, it is in Spanish, so it's open to everybody. So she's been penetrating in that field and I feel her success, also my my success, and I want you to feel it as your success because what you taught me in that class in 1999 has reached so many fields and so many areas in Mexico that you don't have any idea, you don't imagine. How much positive impact has done in many people
0: you're training with the national certification for guides in general right now, yes yes is, is the focus of that more the logistics of guiding the ethics, the how to handle the guest is what what no. is?
1: No, no, not at all. That's why interpretation is so important because interpretation is how they are going to communicate all their knowledge they have in a simple, meaningful way for visitors. The training program that the Minister of Tourism requires is all about knowledge, 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 knowledge. knowledge. No many skills. So that's why interpretation is so important. Uh, In the school, I work over here locally we train a, a students uh, for the whole state of Baja California Sur. And in every other area I have worked, I have gone to train other guides. I had incorporated a, the interpretive techniques as a part of group management. And there's a one, one class, one topic um, that they teach is called group management, but they work more as a groups for uh, companies, you know, or factories at that level of group management. Many people in tourism, they don't understand, you know, interpretive techniques as group management or group, uh, communication skills for, for, the, for the visitors or others. So I'm very, very happy for that. And, um, but, they, but I share all this for you because you told me if there was other organizations or other uh, associations. In Mexico, there are many tour guide associations. I belong to many of them. Uh, but none of them are doing interpretation recently uh, i was host uh, of the one of the international um one of the international conference in in my cabo area here and it was kind of uh, a sour and sweet experience because it was, I I don't know where the devil was when I raised my hand and I said, I wanna be hosting the international conference. I didn't understand so much work. It was, you know, a lot of work. And uh, I invited the authorities and universities and many people to volunteer to come and help to put together the program and all of them says yes 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 but when the time came they were not there so I was running like crazy here there, trying to do everything as a you know to work the best and I feel so sad because I made a lot of marketing a lot of promotion a lot of because I thought being hosting an international conference will make easier for many Mexicans to come and learn about interpretation interpretive techniques without expanding to go in other countries United States or other countries to learn about interpretation. So I thought it was a great opportunity for many of them. But uh, many, many uh, also interpreters came to expose in the international conference, but very only some of my former students that were in other CIG classes could come. And I I had that, uh, you know, sour and sweet experience. I thought it was also disappointing for most of the colleagues of the association because they were all prepared and I'm very grateful because all they came prepared to teach to a uh, Mexican audiences, you know, about interpretation and their knowledge they had and how to apply it in their fields they are doing in different areas, but no many Mexicans came. So it was a very, very disappointing for them. Also for me, because, you know, after all that much work, I did and applied, and at the end, no many came to get the benefit.
0: In my 50-some years in this profession in the United States, I've watched this change from a very small group of people trying to convince others that it was important. And it took a long time, and uh, it just doesn't happen easily. It has not happened easily in Europe. I will tell you that we have colleagues in Philippines, Indonesia, Rwanda, Tanzania, countries around the world that are trying to organize this interest and in interpretation in their own communities. Not easy to do. It's it's complicated.
1: Oh, I thought that it was only from here.
0: <laughs> well no. I'm afraid that phenomena is pretty common, and uh, hopefully you'll find a way to do it. If we can be of help, let us know.
1: Uh, well, no, 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 that that I'm still I haven't deceased, I haven't quit. I'm still carrying the interpretive, uh, you know, flag, and, and I'm trying to inter- to introduce others in interpretation as much as I can.
0: Well, I just want to thank you personally for what you've been uh, for us. You've been an inspiration because when we started the Certified Interpretive Guide program. We had no idea how broadly it would be accepted or even how it would work on the ground. We considered that the class in 1999 in La Paz very much a test of the material. And you were a shining example of someone who could take the material and make it work, remind us of the power of good thematic interpretation. So you've been an inspiration for me for at least 24 years. And I'm thrilled to get to chat with you again. I just want to say thanks again and aloha.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, team. Thank you, Lisa.
0: Thanks for joining me, Maria Elena. Next week, I'll be talking to Masa Shintani, a very talented ecotourism and interpretive trainer in Japan who's worked all over Asia and Africa and early in his career on the Big Island where we live. Lisa Brochu will teach an interpretive planning course via Zoom, November 7 to 10. You can register at com slash training. Again, I'd like to thank Mark Stoffel for use of his beautiful mandolin music. This time, it's Yin and Yang from his Coffee and Cake album. Have a wonderful week. Aloha.